0: in that part of the book of Acts, uh, which is our series right now, it's called Let's Go Change the World, where there's just one amazing conversion to Christ after another. Go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 9. My job today as a preacher is to tell you about the greatest conversion to Christ in the history of the world. This man's conversion, the Apostle Paul, revolutionized the entire church. He was bent on destroying the entire church, and he was well positioned to do it. If he had succeeded, the early church could have been crippled for a hundred years. Instead, God grabbed his soul, turned him around, and made the number one antagonist to the gospel, its chief defender. He wrote uh, most of the New Testament, some of the books that you enjoy most. He, We're going to hear his story, how he gets saved, and the Uh, And the author Luke is writing to convince you that your faith in this person, Jesus Christ, should be stronger than ever. And hey, if Paul can get saved by the risen Lord Jesus Christ, anybody can get saved by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So I have great expectations for the message today. Let's pray and then we'll hear Paul's story. Father, as we open your word today, we ask that you would help this story to penetrate our hearts. Lord, there are some here today who have lost loved ones, friends, relatives, neighbors, co workers, and they don't think these people will ever get saved. Maybe they've waited for decades and they've given up all hope. Show us today, Lord, that we should never lose hope. We should have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in our souls for those who don't know Christ. And we should believe that the vilest offender can be radically transformed by the grace of Christ. Lord, I pray for any who are online today or who are in person who are not saved. And I particularly pray for those who think they are very religious, good with God. They follow the rules and yet they don't have salvation. Open their eyes to their blindness today. And also for those who have done things that maybe make them feel like you would never forgive a person like them ever. Show them the wonder of your great love. That you would save even them, no matter what they've done. Lord, we pray that the light of salvation would shine today through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. well, in your bulletin there is a card because... We want you at some point to write out your story of how you became a Christian, three-sentence testimony of faith. We've done this before in the past. We get a huge stack. We want everybody to turn one in today. And you could just tell us how you found Jesus. And usually you include, like, before Christ, what your life was like, how you got saved by Jesus, and then how he transformed you. Now, I'd rec- we're going to give you time at the end of the sermon to fill it out. So I'd recommend you not write a novel while I'm preaching, okay? Uh, if you're online, we put a link in the YouTube comments that will take you to our website where you can fill out a God at Work story. We want to hear how you got saved. So today is not just about Paul's story. Today I would love to hear your story. Here we are in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. All right, this is as bad as it can get. This guy's got powers. He's probably a member of the Sanhedrin. You know, the 70-ish guys ruling with their... Uh, the big entourage, and then you've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they've got the power, they've got the money, they can kill you if they want to. It might take them a little time to get the angle right and to get the false witnesses in place, but they can take you out. And so Paul has gone door to door in Jerusalem, specifically he's looking for those out-of-towners, those Hellenists, those Greek-speaking Christians, because it's the Hellenists, the Jews, who are really upset about the Christians reaching them in town. Likely because these folks were for out of town and they either moved back in or they were visiting. They were people of means. They probably did pretty well in the world. They probably had influence with the government. And so now they're pulling some strings. They're trying to get those Christians out of town. Paul went house to house. If he found Christians, men or women, he threw them in jail. He caused them to blaspheme. Many of them were killed. This man is a walking terror. You and I, we have no fear right now, yet, of anything like this happening, where a government official can get permission to go house to house, to drag Christians out, to put them in jail, and to cause them to say things that will get them killed. We don't have that fear. Many Christians today live with that fear. Paul was the number one antagonist of the Christian church, murderous Threats. And he was done in Jerusalem. We don't know how many people lost their lives. We don't know how many were sitting in jail. We don't know how many kids just lost their parents because of this monster. But he's done in Jerusalem, and now he wants letters to go 75 miles away to Damascus. He's going to clear the whole world of these Christians. Can you see the look on his face? Can you see his hatred? Can you see his confusion? Can you see his pride? This is the way he's going to make a name for himself. His covetousness to have the power and the money and the glory of those around him. Can you see his knowledge? He's smart. He's powerful. He's wise. He's zealous. Can you see that? Then in verse 3, his whole life changes. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone all around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you were to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying His hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Oh my goodness! Did you hear what happened? Did you hear? I'm going to act out all the Christians in the entire first century. Right? Did you hear what happened? Phones would be blowing up! OMG! All the exclamation points. What happened? He's not here to kill us anymore. He's actually telling people about Jesus. What? 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 This is an unbelievable, incredible, impossible story. It's out of this world. If you are skeptical about whether or not Jesus truly did die on the cross, get thrown in a tomb, and on the third day rise again, look at the man who set out to destroy the church... There is absolutely zero reason he would become a Christian. Zero percent. Statistically, there is nothing in this for him but death. The only explanation for the conversion of the Apostle Paul is he saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's it. That's it. And that's the only thing that you get from this today. Wow, I should really believe this. Because that monster who wanted to kill every Christian in existence became one of them. There's no rational explanation for that. He would walk away from a world of power, of money, of esteem, of knowledge. Everywhere he went, people would look up to him. He left it all behind to become what he would call human garbage, like men condemned to die in the Colosseum. There is no reason he would do this other than he had a genuine conversion to Christ. Wow. Are you amazed by the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Him, he's the plan. I got a plan to reach the world. Him, him. My favorite part of this story is Ananias. When in a vision, he starts informing God the news. Go and lay your hands on him. But Lord, <laughs> uh, he's got a letter that could lead to my death. You wouldn't want me to go talk to him. Did you you pick the right media file for this vision? (laughs) Go. Wow. All right, jot this down. Before I was saved, I. We're going to trace the Apostle Paul's story here, and I want you to be asking yourself your story. Before I was saved, I. Well, the Apostle Paul, he tells his story in in many different places. Um, in, in the book of Galatians, he, he gets pretty clear with them because they were having trouble. They were, kind of wanted to go back into you know, Judaism. But he talks about how he was really advancing in verse 14 of Galatians 1. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had, I love this, set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he goes on to tell the rest of his story. So Paul was a rising star. He, in Israel, had it all. He had a great instructor. He was super smart. He was mighty and powerful. When Stephen, the deacon, was stoned, Paul was right there. They were putting their coats right with Saul. He was watching the coats, and, and he was on board with the killing of this godly man. So, this was the Apostle Paul. He was a religious guy. He knew his Bible, the Old Testament, but he was blind to Christ. None of this happened in a corner. He was blind to all the wonderful things Christ did when he was on earth, and he was deaf to the testimony of Stephen, the righteous man. He was blind and he was deaf. He would not, he knew better. You don't think he ever heard about the wise men coming to town? Oh, he heard. He knew better, but he in fact chose his own position of power rather than the truth. So before I was saved, I was a mess, killing Christians. Holy cow, it doesn't get any worse than that. Beating them, imprisoning them, thinking I was doing God's will. In Acts 26.10, Paul shares his story a variety of times throughout the Bible, but in Acts 26.10, he says this, or 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme, and in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Wow. Before I was saved. What's your story? What's your story? In chapter 8, verse 3, it says Saul was ravaging the church and entering house After house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I don't know if you've got a terrible story of external sin growing up. Maybe you do. Uh, Your story can't be... Maybe it is. It's likely not as bad as this. Oh yeah, house to house, dragged them out, kicking and screaming, men and women, Christians, beat them, threw them in jail, killed them. Whoa. That's bad. Maybe you're story is not as externally bad but you more on the inside became aware that you were sinful you had broken god's law that there were things in your life you couldn't control or explain but they were wrong so for me i was raised catholic do you want to see a picture of catholic ryan check it out here is me i got confirmed uh, in the catholic church me and my sister got confirmed baptized in the catholic Church. went to religious ed you know and that's a mullet, for those of you who don't know that haircut. That's my background, raised religious. You know, I went to like a, I went to like a VBS at the local uh, Christian assembly, backyard Bible club every now and then. So I kind of was exposed to the gospel, but I didn't believe it. I didn't take God or faith seriously. So I was raised religious, but uh, I was not a Christian. I was not saved. So what is your story? Jot this down. Everyone has a before Christ story. Everyone has a before Christ story. Not me. I was raised in the church. I've always been a Christian. You got to correct that. Never say that. Never. If you know your Bible and you were raised in the church, you should never say I was always a Christian. You can say I've always been around Christians. You can say my family's always been Christian. You can say I've participated in the Christian faith, but you are not a Christian until you understand the depth of your depravity and you call out to Christ for him to save you. It can happen when you're four, when you're 44, when you're 94, but you have to become a Christian. You have to be born again. The church can't do that for you. Your parents never did that for you. They can't make you born again. So at some point in your past, and I know some people don't remember exactly when it happened, but they can string All From then until now, they can string together all this evidence that they were, in fact, at some point in the young years, born again. And that they did believe, naturally, the truth that they were given. Uh, But some people have more of a casual attachment to a denomination or a religious program, and they think, well, that's it. I'm one of them. Well, no. Everyone has a before Christ story. Maybe you were raised in the church, maybe not. But we all must be saved by grace through faith. When it comes to salvation, we have to get our doctrine clear. Everyone, whether you were raised in the church or outside the church, you have to be born again by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to become a Christian. It says in the book of Titus, which is a really great book, but in the book of Titus, it says in verse 11 of chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's really cool. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, So is that your hope? Is that your faith? That you were without God in this world, but he poured out his love on you. And by grace, through faith, you became a child of God. All God's kids are adopted but one. Jesus has been his eternal son, right? You have to be brought into the family through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When did that happen? When did you become a Christian? When did you get saved? Everyone has a before Christ story, And if all of your life you've been in the church, you learned you needed a Savior just like them, but I got news for you. On Judgment Day, you're not going to come up to the lectern, you know, when it's your turn to say why you should get into heaven. You're not going to be like, well, when is my grandma going to get here? Because she's, uh, she knows. Uh, You're going to stand alone. Mama's not going to be there. You have to have a testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you saved? Everyone has a before Christ story. What's yours? What was your life before you found out about Jesus Christ? Paul was going house to house, dragging Christians out, forcing them to blaspheme, and putting them to death. Wow. Jot this down. Everyone falls short of God's standard and must be rescued by Jesus. Must be rescued by Jesus. Paul was like... He was a religious guy. He... He probably had, like, entire books of the Bible memorized, right? And he could tell you all about Moses. Oh, he loves Moses. My goodness. Abraham? Oh, he was a teacher of the law uh, going to hell because he didn't have Jesus. So we have to be careful here. Everyone falls short of God's standard and must be rescued by Jesus, Sometimes I'll ask people, well, why are you going to heaven? And they'll say, well, I'm a pretty good person. And so I'll say, well, but the Bible says good people don't go to heaven. And then they're really confused. They're like, huh? Yeah, good people don't go to heaven. What? Well, who goes to heaven? It says in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So uh, you said you're a pretty good person, but the Bible says you're a pretty dead person. Which is it? can't be both. So if you're a dead person spiritually, it says, in which you once walked following the course of this world, find the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There are some people in this room who've never even for a second thought that hell is where they're going to spend eternity. The thought has never crossed your mind because you were churched. And I need you to understand that if if you put yourself in this group of people who just never really had to face the reality that you need a Savior, you're in big trouble with God because you're going against, you're contradicting what God's word says. You're dead spiritually. You're just like the rest of humanity. There's nothing anyone has ever done for you, nothing you've ever done that makes you in this special group of people who doesn't have to worry about hell. You actually need a transfer of residency like everyone else. So that in the coming ages, or actually it says this, Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you realize you have fallen short of God's standards? You have broken his law. You are hopelessly dead and you're a pile of dry bones and God needs to give you new life. Do you realize your before Christ story? Maybe you're still there. Maybe you are still B.C., and you have not yet been saved. It's crucial that you discover that today. Before I was saved, everyone has a before Christ story, everyone falls short of God's standard and must be rescued by Jesus. Number two, then I was saved when... So this is how your story, you can write it. Then I was saved when... So when were you saved? When were you saved? Well, the Apostle Paul's story is... As clear as it comes, verse three. Now as he was went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice, saw a light, heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Totally blinded by the light. So many spiritual truths. So there are spiritual things that are true about you, but no people can't, like, wheel up this machine to show your own soul. God sees it, so he tells you about it, using these parallel things. He'll say you're blind, which means you can't see his light. You're, you're stained, which means you can't get clean, right? He'll use these parallels to show you what is true about your soul so that you can see it before you're in trouble and, not, and nothing can be done about that after you die. So the idea that Paul now could see nothing after he saw the light of heaven shows you spiritually that his eyes have been actually opened to the only thing that really matters and closed to everything that he had been looking at before. He saw Jesus and nothing else, and he was blind to the world. That's a portrait of getting saved. Have your eyes been open to heaven and shut to every other thing of nonsense in this earth? Have you seen the light? We all have to see the truth of Jesus. He's the risen Lord. Whoa, my eyes have been open. And our eyes have to close to every other ambition that we had down here that went against God's will. Have your eyes been opened? Those around him were blind to heaven still. Paul can't see earth anymore and they can't see heaven. Which group are you in? He also heard the truth about Jesus. Have you heard it? Have you heard the truth about Jesus from above? Has someone told you that he is the risen Lord? And do you believe in your own soul that Jesus is in fact alive Right now, ruling in the glories of heaven. Is that your faith? Wow. Once Paul realized Jesus was alive, he knew he was dead. He's alive. I'm dead. I am dead. And I don't know if you've ever had that awareness. You're not dead because you killed Christians, but I don't know if you've ever had this awareness. If there is a God in heaven who knows everything about me and sees straight into my soul and there's a book that's going to be opened with every single thing I've ever done or or said or thought or failed to do. If there's a God in heaven right now and I'm going to stand in front of him one day and give an account for my life, I am dead. I'm dead. You ever get in big trouble with your parents and you're like, "I'm dead." I'm dead. When they get home, I'm dead. Kitchen's on fire. You know, the pet is, is, you know, on the roof or whatever. You ever get in huge trouble with your parents and you're like, I'm dead and your knees are shaking a little bit. Have you ever had that moment with God? If you haven't, maybe today's the day. When were you saved? When were you saved? When did you realize you stand convicted before a holy God of sin? And you can't get white out, you can't get one infraction off the record. And you need a savior. In Philippians 3.12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this or i am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Awesome word there. He took hold of me. He got arrested. Paul got apprehended by Christ when he was supposed to be the one doing the apprehending. It's really sweet. You must know the truth about Jesus and believe it. Not just, you can't just believe any old thing. Oh, I have faith in what? The light. No, no. It has to be in the truth about the risen Lord Jesus. And this is good news. It's good news because it doesn't matter what your before Christ story holds. Listen, it doesn't matter how dark, dirty, shameful your before Christ story is. It doesn't matter. He will save you. There are consequences for sure. If you come to Christ and you've you've got a past, you may have to face up to some hard, enduring consequences from your choices on earth. But the, the eternal consequences of your sin are all washed away. All of it. I mean, all of it can be washed away by the Lord Jesus Christ. If he accepts Paul, he will accept you. This is also bad news because the best of your behavior means nothing. The best of your behavior. I went to religious ed. It Doesn't matter. I've got patches to prove it. It's nothing. I'm kind to animals. Who cares? I'm a patriot. I love my country. None of that matters. None of it matters when there's a risen Lord in heaven who will judge your life. The only thing that matters is what you do with God's son. Have you faced the hard, stark, cold reality that you are doomed and you need a savior? You need a savior. Then I was saved. When were you saved? Jot this down. When did you hear and understand that you needed a Savior? When did you hear it? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He died on the cross. He rose again. He rules heaven now and you can be saved. When did you hear it? And then when did you understand it? That you needed a Savior. I love Ananias here. He's my favorite part of this story. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, "Ooh, a vision doesn't happen very often. Ananias is a godly guy. He's praying and a vision is is either, you know, when you're awake, it's a vision. When you're dreaming, it's a dream. We don't know how, but boom, there's like this vision. He sees something. He sees something spiritually. Wow, God's going to use me to do this special thing. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. Okay. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus. Okay, named Saul. Uh-oh. oh <laughs> For behold, he's praying and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias. You showed him me. You showed him me. You showed to me in a vision. I don't want this vision anymore. Delete. Turn off. Where is it? Cancel. What's going through Ananias' heart? He's seen in a vision. A man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done in your sight, in your saints in Jerusalem. He has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Am I out of it yet? I love this. The reluctance to go and share the gospel. We all face it. But the Lord said to him, go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You know, there's so much of God's love in this verse. There's so much of his wisdom, his plan, his providence. Nothing has happened yet in Saul's life and God knows the entirety of his ministry. God is sovereign over the salvation of the lost. You know that, right? Paul is going to hear. He's going to see. He's going to believe. He will respond. This is not coercion. But God is sovereign over the process of salvation. And he tells Ananias the future. This is my chosen instrument. What love we see here, not only for Paul, but for the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name oh, he's going to get it, Ananias. He's going to feel it. So Ananias departed and entered the house. This is one of my favorite parts in the entire Bible. One of my favorite parts in the entire Bible is Ananias walking in, and, and walking in, and seeing this guy praying on his knees. And can you even imagine the emotions? He doesn't, he doesn't know Paul. He knows the murderer. He knows the executioner. He knows he's lost maybe some friends. He is afraid of this guy and he comes in and he sees this guy on the ground. Part of him wanted to turn and walk away and say, forget this. This is the, one of my favorite parts of the Bible. But he walks up to him, 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 him! And he puts his hands on him and says, brother, 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 brother Saul. Man, the church is amazing. Anyone can be saved by grace through faith and become a family member in the household of God. Wow, that's incredible. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He rose and was baptized. He was saved. When were you saved? When did you hear and understand that you needed a Savior? When did you hear? Who told you? Who came to you? Who was the Ananias? Who was like, uh, you got to hear this. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was your pastor. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. So for me, my friend Andy invited me to church. He's the one who kind of came and got me. Here's a picture of me in college when I got saved, right? This is, uh, I like to show these pictures whenever I can. That's me when I was, when, just after I got saved, here's another picture of my heavy metal band, right? Maybe you haven't seen these before. That's me on the drums and our, our lead singer. And I think we got one more picture too, don't we? Uh, yeah, so, the, so there's me in the, in the middle, playing and drums. The guy on the left is my bass player. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. He invited me to church and I got saved. How did you get saved? Jot this down. When did you believe Jesus is Lord and repent of your sins? When did you believe Jesus is Lord and repent of your sins? Uh, Paul repented and he got baptized to show that his sins were washed away. And he gave God all the glory, as I read in Galatians 1. He knew that this was a moment God had prepared from his birth. God was after him. God didn't just look down and say, oh, what's happening there? God was governing the entire process. When did you believe Jesus is Lord? Repent of your sins because of God's activity in your soul. And jot this down. When did you publicly proclaim your faith in Christ? When did you publicly proclaim your faith in Christ? So maybe you made profession of faith or, or got baptized, but when did you go public and tell people that you were born again? When did you publicly profess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Check it out. Here's my baptism video when I still had my long hair. This is Ryan they made me wear a dress Ryan, do you gowns in back Christ then. Brian, based on your testimony of faith in Christ, I'm going to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried in the light that's been Very good. Very good. That's when I went public. That's when I went public. When did you go public and tell everybody? I see this happen too often where someone thinks they're saved, and the people who know them the best, if you're like, is that person a Christian? They're like, And if that's you, that's a huge problem. If you think you are, and the people who know you best are like, "Mm," you haven't gone public. You haven't told everybody about it. So when did you publicly proclaim your faith in Christ? Paul did it right away. Number three, and I've been transformed in many ways. So number one, before I was saved, I. Number two, then I was saved when, do you have that? I was saved when, and if that's cloudy at all, Maybe today's the day. And then number three, I've been transformed in many ways. I've been transformed in many ways. Like, I love that it says here, God says, he is the one who will carry my name. Carry my name before the Gentiles. He's carrying the letters to kill the Christians, right? The names of, of, the, of the high-ranking officials of this person and this person and this person. I've got their name telling me to go and do this. And now God said, Jesus said he's going to carry my name among the Gentiles. He's going to go save people forever. Wow. What a transformation. Have you been transformed in many ways? Jot this down. What worldly mindsets and behaviors have you abandoned? What worldly mindsets and behaviors have you abandoned? I used to think, but now I know What about your heart? I used to feel all the time I struggled with, but but now Christ. Where's the before and after? Where's the evidence of transformation? This is called the fruit of salvation. What about behaviors? Oh man, I used to all the time, I used to, but now. Is there any fruit? If there's no fruit, there's no root. If there's no root, there's no salvation. Is there evidence that you've been transformed? Jot this down. What sinful patterns were broken? What sinful patterns were broken? it could be your words. Man, if your language changes, your kids are going to know about it. When your language clears up, it's a little unfortunate. Christians don't have very many words to convey the the forcefulness that swear words kind of, you know, do. So when you become a Christian, it's like darn it, you know, and you you really lose a lot of the vocabulary you had. So me as a college student, suddenly I'm like, i got to watch my language. It's like, ah, fuddy-duddy. <sighs> Boy, I wish those whole words were right here right now because, Changed. My friends knew he's different. Started reading my Bible, never done that before. When your child starts reading your Bible, you notice, huh, what's going on there? What changed in your life to alert those around you that you have been made new? Could be your words, could be your emotions, could be the places you no longer go, the people you no longer see, the substances you no longer use, your eyes no longer turn, tilt, hear, your ears no longer listen, your hands, your feet, you and money have changed, you and lust have changed, you and conflict have changed. We had a woman in our church, she lost her dad and it broke her for years, she got saved, she lost her mom, entirely different grieving experience, and her family saw it. How are you, you, you're not binging. How are you holding it together? Christ changed my heart. People notice when things change about you. What sinful patterns were broken? Jot this down. What godly habits were formed? What godly habits were formed? Did you start reading your Bible? Did you start attending a church? Did you start giving praise to God through worship? Did you learn forgiveness for those, no matter what they've done to you? Did you develop a pattern of generosity toward God's work in the church and towards people who are in need? Did God break the power of greed in your life, sloth? You were doing practically nothing to advance the good, noble, kingdom of Christ on earth, sloth, maybe that was broken, and now you're serving other people. Humility, you saw yourself, as really high up there, and now you realize that we're to take the lowest place. I remember when I was a new Christian, I went to this church in Melrose Park with all these old Italian people who were commuting in from the suburbs because that's the church that their parents built or something. It's just a long story. But I had just gotten saved recently, and I was just on fire, you know? I had started doing some things for the first time. I helped at my first church work day. I put grass seed down. That's how it all started. Here's a bag of grass seed. And it was a city church, so their, their lawn was like, you know, four by four. <laughs> then I changed the light bulbs. But if you remember the fixtures like this in the old churches, and you've, if you ever changed those bulbs, I was bleeding because it's, there's like 3,000 bulbs in each one of those fixtures, right? This is why I, for the first time I was doing these things, but I remember they had a binder in the back of the church one day, and they're like, we want everybody to go to the back of the church and write down what God has done in your life recently. And I remember at the end of church going back there, and these people had written all this stuff, and I remember literally thinking, he hasn't really done anything yet, because I had just gotten saved. I didn't, I didn't know what to write. I could fill that binder now, That I literally remember when I didn't have any God stories yet, other than getting saved. Do you have God stories? What he's done in your life, in your heart, in your family? What is your story? I'd love for you to write out your story this morning. In a moment, we're going to give you the chance to do it. If you're watching online, you can go to our website and fill out a God at Work story. We've done this in the past, and we've collected, like, stacks of these response cards, Because we want everyone to turn one in. As long as you're honest, we'd love to hear where you're at with God. I don't care if you write down, I hate God right now. Great, turn it in. Now we know where you're starting. But I pulled up some of the old ones from several years ago. Let me read a few stories of what God did in people's hearts. I won't tell the names, but you might be in the room right now. I was invited to a Baptist church in grade school. My parents were divorcing. My mother's abandoning us and living with my alcoholic father was hard. Going to that church, I learned that Jesus died for my sins and would help me through this. I got saved and baptized. In my teens, I turned my life to live for Jesus. I stopped worrying, and God took care of the rest. July 10th, 1989, age 26, I was asked by a friend to come to a small group. For weeks, I had hesitated to come. I knew I was not perfect, but hoped God would judge me on a sliding scale. That day I heard the gospel for the first time. I was shocked to find out I could be saved by grace through faith instead of trying to be a good person. I admitted to God I was a sinner, asked him to forgive me and to take over my life. He became my Lord and Savior. I was raised Catholic, Catholic school, mass every day in youth group, but never really knew God. In 2017, Pastor Ryan was preaching, asked anyone who felt like they weren't saved to stand up. I stood up and I was actually saved that day, baptized in 2018 great story this from a teenager began a while back when I thought I was saved but then truly thought about it and realized that I wasn't it scared me so much thinking I could have went to hell that whole time so at Winterfest 2017 I made my decision to change that got saved that weekend a few months after that I got baptized on April 2nd another one I was raised Lutheran did the classes but never understood them my mom made me go My best friend invited me to church in 2009. Pastor Ryan said, you can fool a lot of people a lot of the time, but you can never fool God. I immediately felt convicted. I got baptized two weeks later. Another one. Raised and believed Jesus as son of God, accepted him as my Lord and Savior at a young age, but easily wandered away when I came to this country at the age of 23 as a postgraduate student, then confessed my sins and recommitted my life in 1990. Hey, I don't know what your story might sound like, But we want to give you a chance to write it out right now. So grab your card. If you need a pen, the ushers are gonna bring one by. You just need to put your hand up. But we want you to take a moment and write out your card. It should at least have three sentences. Your BC story, before Christ, then how you met Jesus and got saved, and then how he's transformed you. Couple examples of that. If you don't have a story, you can make today your story. You can say today, here and now, I understand I need to be saved by Jesus Christ. I am going to write this out. These are just going to come to me. And if you want a follow-up, we ask everybody to put their name, but you can put your phone number down too. You can check that you'd like to talk with a pastor about questions you have. You'd like to discuss baptism with somebody. You can tell us you're deciding to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior today. But we want you to fill this out right now. And we're going to give you some time to do it. If you need a pen, put your hand up. The ushers are coming by. And look, if, if you write down and on it, look, I am just... so mad at God right now, I can't. just write that down. Just tell us where you're starting. Just, if you could just honestly give us a snapshot, or maybe you're ready today. Write down at least three sentences, maybe a couple more, and then we'll collect these on the way out. But we're going to give you a chance to write these out right now. And if you've turned one in before, write it down again, because you'll be surprised at how God gives you your own story through new eyes, the older you get. So go ahead and write your story down right now. If you're online, there's a link in the comments that says uh, go to our website. You could write this very same thing, but just do it on a God at Work form on our website. We want you to take time to do that right now. All right, we'll give you a few minutes. take one more opportunity here to gently encourage anyone who might be on the fence. The gospel is amazingly simple. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This truly is a golden opportunity for you to take hold of the life that is truly life. Don't wait another day. Time is running out, and this could be the very moment your eternity will hinge upon. read a few more as we're giving you a last minute to continue to write. We'll sing one more song. If you didn't get a chance to finish, you can, after the last song, just sit down, finish it off, and then turn it in. I was a drug addict. My life was falling apart. My marriage was just about over. I heard someone say, cry out to the Lord. I cried out to God, beg for forgiveness, mercy, and grace. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Last one, at eight years of age, I prayed to Jesus and asked him to save me. I immediately knew I was changed. My mother was not home, so I stayed awake, excited to tell her the news. She must not have understood what I was telling her because she told me to go back to bed. (laughs) Then at 12 years of age, I publicly professed my faith and was baptized. I don't know who you want to tell, but Jesus is worth sharing with others. Lord, we commit all of these stories to you Just as the Apostle Paul knew that he was responsible, just as he shared in a parallel passage, Ananias said, what are you waiting for? Rise and get baptized, washing away your sins. Paul knew he had a decision to make. He stood, he responded to your grace, but he knew that you were the one, the architect, the framer, the author of his salvation from start to finish, from before he was born. Lord, Maybe there are some today who are turning their lives over to you. May they know that they are wrapped up in your sovereign love and you'll never let them go. Lord, I pray that you would reassure them that you will never leave them and never forsake them. And for all of the many stories that you've written in the hearts of people here, Jesus, we give you all the glory. We praise you, Lord. Amen.